All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, all of you wonderful, just beautiful citizens of Crypt Nation. I hope everybody's just doing dandy today. Uh, Pizza Mind over there, how are you doing, man? I am more confused than ever, if you can believe that. We've what? got so much crazy news coming out everywhere between UFOs being acknowledged by the Pentagon and uh, multiple dimensions and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I found this crazy anime called... Um, devil man cry baby that is kind of like mimicking what's going on in the world right now it was oh just God. released on netflix it's giving me horrible nightmares um so i need something really grounded to ease my troubled mind bryce well, what do you well, got for me today <laughs> well pete's you know i've told you i'm not your mother uh many times before but you're not i need <laughs> i need you to stop watching things that are going to give you nightmares that that puts everything that we're building together at risk if you can't get a good night's sleep. You stopped reading me bedtime stories about shitcoins, so I'm left to my own, own vices. <laughs> well, today we are joined by just an absolute sparkle of energy. Uh, this is Tess Reinierson, who is the VP of Engineering over at Interchain GmbH, uh, which is a German uh, acronym for company, essentially. Tess, welcome to Crypto 101 Podcast. Hello, how's it going? Man, things are just uh, just just delightful. Uh, no complaints. Um, you know, I'm just you know want to make sure my my pal doesn't get too many bad nightmares here with all this crazy stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, as yeah. I understand it, Tess is involved with uh, Tendermint and Cosmos, mm-hmm. so that already puts my mind at ease because I love both of these things. Tess, let's ask you a first a few questions about yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about your professional background. How did you come to be the VIP of engineering at Interchain? 
Yeah. So I've been in the crypto space um, for about five years. And before that, I was working as a software engineer. So I have an engineering background. And I was working at Medium, which is actually sort of funny since obviously Medium is um, such a, a hub of conversation for, for crypto blog posts and things like that now. But um, when I was there, none of that yet. So after, uh, after Medium, I joined a um, blockchain company, which was called Chain. And this was in early 2015. So you could you know, call your blockchain company something like Chain, uh, Chain.com. And at the time, it was a Bitcoin API, but um, I stayed at Chain for uh, about four years and worked on all kinds of different projects there. So, you know, starting with Bitcoin API, then did some sort of like colored coins uh, stuff on top of the Bitcoin network. So, you know, how can you transfer other kinds of assets using the Bitcoin blockchain then we worked on an enterprise blockchain thing for a while, um, even did like a, a, a cloud blockchain um, solution for, for a time. And then ultimately that company got acquired by uh, the for-profit side of like the Stellar network. So I don't know if, if folks are familiar with Stellar, but it's one of the older uh, blockchain networks and, and they really have an emphasis on remittances and cross-border payments. So I worked uh, there for a little while. And then last year, I hopped over and I moved to Berlin, which is where I live now. And um, I started working on Tendermint Core, which is a consensus algorithm. Ah, that's that leads us perfectly to our next question. So everybody who's been watching the show, they've heard of, you know, Bitcoin and proof of work, which is, you know, the, the miners and they're able to you know, find these cryptographic puzzles and put towards a lot of energy. Um, and in doing so, you're processing and verifying transactions. And that's what we call consensus algorithms. And so what you're building over at Interchain is something called Tendermint. And if anybody who's uh, listening has listened to the Jack Zamplin podcast that we put out a few months ago, uh, go back and get a refresher over there as well. But Tess, tell us what's so special about Tendermint and really what it enables. Yeah. So um, you just gave a definition of a consensus algorithm and it's a great definition, but it's also super blockchain oriented. And the cool thing about consensus algorithms is that they actually have this really long history in like traditional computer science, so to speak, academic computer science, because the question that they're trying to tackle is how do you get a group of computers to come to consensus on something? On a value, you know, in 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 um, Bitcoin, that would be like all of the miners coming to consensus on what the next block should be. But this is really, um, you know, this concept and this problem is really much broader than that. And so it has all kinds of applications outside of blockchains. And again, this like really long history in uh, what we would call distributed systems outside of the blockchain world. So so that's. Um, uh, you know, I, one thing that I really like about blockchains in general is that they draw from so many different disciplines. There's like, you know, economic aspects to it, finance aspects to it. And then this obviously really deep computer science stuff that underpins it. Right. And, and, and consensus algorithms and distributed systems are really one of like the core pillars of that computer science foundation that underpins blockchains. So one thing that is cool about uh, Tendermint is that it is a proof-of-stake consensus algorithm. And proof-of-stake 
uh, ties it pretty cleanly, like that phrase really makes you think of proof of work, right? Like you can kind of see the parallels. Um, but, but proof of stake is interesting because I think it actually, or I should say tendermint is interesting because it really actually draws in many ways from academic computer science and from sort of that history that I mentioned more deeply than, than proof of work. At the same time, it's trying to solve the same problem, right? Like how do you get a group of computers on the Cosmos network, we don't call them miners, we call them validators. But how do you get a group of computers who are responsible for validating and verifying the next set of transactions on a blockchain network to agree on what those transactions are? Especially when you have no uh, single centralized leader that you can sort of like trust by default, right? So that's the problem that it's solving. And the cool thing about Tendermint is that it does not use as much uh, energy as proof of work. Because like you mentioned, proof of work uh, is sort of, it's underpinned by this uh, mining or by this hashing process where all of the miners basically make wild guesses over and over and over again. And again, I, I know there's this, uh, this is the Crypto 101 podcast, so I'm trying to keep it pretty basic, but let me know if I, if I should take it up a notch, definitely. Um, anyway, you have all of these computers trying to um, make all these guesses over and over again. And that guessing process is very computationally expensive. Not so much that making a single guess is expensive, but making so many guesses across so many computers, you know, all over the world, that's a very- Tril- I mean, like process. trillions of uh, guesses a second. Right, right. So, um, so of course, it's going to use a lot of, uh, that's going to use up a lot of computation, which is going to use a up a lot of, lot of electricity. energy. Exactly. And so when people say, you know, like, oh, um, Bitcoin uses like as much energy as New Zealand or whatever, that's, that's really where that's coming from. So I think there is this interesting question of like, how can you make a blockchain network that has a consensus algorithm that is more energy efficient and therefore more environmentally friendly? And, and Tendermint is one answer to that question. I have to think that there's more Bitcoin miners than New Zealand citizens at this point, though, to be fair. <laughs> Hey, I don't want to slight. I don't want to slight New Zealand, so I don't. Uh, I can't say, but um, but yeah. I mean, I think it is one of those things where, you know, if you only have one network that's using as much energy as New Zealand, like maybe that's okay. But it would be pretty difficult to have many networks that are using that much energy, right? Like at some point, it becomes almost irresponsible to 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 bring so many extremely energy intensive things into the world, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's over 5,000 cryptocurrencies right now. If they all were proof of work like Bitcoin, yes, that we would definitely have a big, big problem. Totally. Um, and so this so proof- place, I'll say one more thing on this um, and then and then uh, happy to go in whatever direction. But this um, sort of issue of like, you know, you can't have 5,000 networks using as much energy as New Zealand plays really nicely with the Cosmos vision, right? Because Cosmos is all about many blockchains, highly interoperable. Um, I like to say it's like the opposite of maximalism. And so if you want to enable lots and lots of blockchains, you really need to find a way to to run these networks in a way that is uh, cheap from an electricity and energy perspective. Definitely. Now let's break down a little bit more in technical terms. Because we do have some people in the industry that listen to this podcast, and they may be trying to figure out what the best consensus mechanism is for their project. 
So aside from proof of work, you've got general proof of stake. You have distributed proof of stake. You've got Byzantine fault tolerance. What is it that Tendermint does that makes it greater than those other solutions? Yeah. So I would say that, um, you know, the, a lot of the the names and phrases you uh, just threw out are sort of like an overlapping Venn diagram of concepts and algorithms. And a lot of these things, a lot of idea, uh, excuse me, a lot of algorithms draw on each other and they've learned from each other. And the thing that I think makes Tendermint really special as a consensus algorithm is that it is was one of the first consensus algorithms to, again, draw from this really deep academic history. So there's this long uh, history of, again, you know, getting a bunch of computers to agree on some value. And a lot of those algorithms have names like like Paxos or uh, PBFT, which is Practical Byzantine Fault Tolerance, or RAFT, which is sort of like the, the, I would say, like most popular non-Byzantine fault tolerant consensus algorithm that people use today. So there's all this prior art. And, but none of them are really suitable for use on um, like an open network, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Cosmos, um, because all of these academically oriented, again, prior art uh, consensus algorithms require you to uh, set your membership set up front. Um, you know, I mentioned, yeah, totally. Like an so I mentioned, yeah, that's one way to... That's- aspect of it. So um, I mentioned practical PBFT, practical Byzantine fault, which is in some ways like the closest to the blockchain world. And and let me just describe Byzantine fault tolerance too, uh, while, while I'm in that particular phrase. So um, the, the idea of Byzantine fault tolerance, or rather the name, comes from this parable sort of in, in academic computer science, which is called the Byzantine problem. And in the Byzantine generals problem, you can imagine this group of generals who are trying to attack a city. And the important thing is that they all decide what to do together. So they either all attack or they all hold back. Um, but they got to be coordinated. They have to be coordinated because if only some of them attack, then they'll be overwhelmed by the defensive forces or, or whatever. You know, it's a little bit contrived, but you know, it's computer science analogies, so bear with me. Um, so the, the thing that makes this tricky is that there's one general in this group who is malicious and can tell different things to different other generals. So if you imagine a situation where like half the generals want to attack and they've kind of agreed on that and half of them don't want to attack, and then you have this one malicious general who tells the attack happy generals to attack and the other ones not to attack, then you have this like split situation, right? And so it all, it all comes down to how do you make sure that no one is being a Byzantine general? No one is being that guy who is like telling different things to different people. So that's, that's the whole question. Um, Byzantine fault tolerance. And, and sometimes um, Byzantine fault tolerance is kind of like, it gets like a lighted like uh, defensible against malicious behavior, but it's actually like technically even uh, simpler than that. It's just like making sure that there's no party in the system that is telling different things to different people. 
and how do you how do you protect against that behavior? So that's that's the question of Byzantine fault tolerance, or that's what uh, it means for a system to be Byzantine fault tolerant. Can the system continue to operate, not go down, not lose data, not not halt, even if you have some number of actors who are behaving in that Byzantine way, where they're telling different things to different other members of the uh, organization. Interesting. All right. Well, cool. So let's let's dive a little bit deeper into IBC, which is inter-blockchain protocol or inter-blockchain mm-hmm. communications protocol. And then we'll, mm-hmm. we just talked about Tendermint. Um, so w- where are we, you know, how does IBC fit in with Cosmos? Yeah. So IBC is like, IBC is like the thing that makes Cosmos go around, which I realize is mixing So it's like, like HTTPS but- to the web or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Like it is the protocol that actually lets different blockchains talk to each other. So Okay, and so does that I, mean I that of, we would be able to have like be able to send, you know, Bitcoin and on the other end receive Ethereum and there's some type of value transfer like that's atomically swapped? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's this question of like how can you do that in the most trust minimizing way? possible, right? How do you how do you do that in a way where you're relying on, you know, protocols and code that can be like vetted by everyone versus uh, relying on like a like a centralized exchange or like a designated like swapper or even someone who's just operating a swapper, right? Like you want you want to be able to do that in a way that is as trustless as possible. And so that's what IBC is all about. Interesting. So we said I want. I picked up on two interesting things right there, and the term trust minimizing versus trustless. And it feels like in the early days of of Bitcoin, it was all about trustless, zero room for any amount of trust. But now, uh, as these second and third generation blockchains come out, I'm hearing a lot of like trust minimizing. So admitting a little bit of trust in the equation. But could we talk about the trade offs between uh, tr- like entirely trustless? And trust minimizing, or are those totally, just- totally? Um, I would actually love to talk about that in the context of consensus algorithms again. Let's I do don't want to like talk your audience's ear off on consensus algorithms, but they really are like They're my the- bread and butter and, and what, yeah. why I get out of bed in the morning. So, and they are so vitally important to you know the security of our coins. Like anybody who's listening mm-hmm. as an investor in crypto or a trader, or whatever, you guys need to fully understand consensus algorithms because sometimes consensus breaks. And what happens when consensus breaks, your coin goes to zero or your coin, (laughs) you know, people lose trust in the system. So, you know, I I want to encourage you. I mean, this is going to be called the consensus algorithm episode. (laughs) The end of the for an example of uh, a weakness there. If you just have general proof of stake, like steam had, you simply had a rich guy come along and buy consensus of the network and they had to fork and the community is in shambles. So it's really, really important. Totally. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, let me, let me start again. I mean, I could go on about this for a long time. So let me try to start it again at like a high level kind of uh, uh, not, we'll, we'll move away from the Byzantine generals and all of that. So like, let's just think about like the consensus problem for a moment, a moment, right. And, and maybe not even in the context of like computers, but in the context of uh, people, like if the three of us wanted to agree on what we were going to have, uh, for dinner. And, you know, someone says, uh, and it, the, the options are like, like, uh, is it, is it a little uh, too on the nose if I say pizza? 
Uh, it's like pizza or, or hot dogs, right? And uh, if we could just hold a vote and say, like, the two of you really want pizza and I really want Hey, guys. TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I have a hot dog and I'm really unhappy that we've like agreed on pizza. So I just like call up a bunch of my friends and I say, okay, now you're in this membership member voting member set also. You can't build consensus if you can keep like throwing more people in the mix, right? And so that's like the trick with blockchain networks is you you want to build consensus based basically through like a voting system where all of the the responsible computers can vote on what the next block will be, but you have to have some safeguards to make sure that no one is like sort of bringing in a bunch of like fake voters, uh, which is called the Sybil attack. Sybil Mm -hmm. 
S S Y B I L, um, a Sybil attack. Um, and, 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 you know, you want to make sure that all of the voters are held accountable to behaving correctly. And then they have the skin in the game, the proper skin in the game or something. Exactly. So that, that skin in the game piece is exactly how Tendermint, um, and it's sort of like related, it's sister consensus algorithms, how they solve that problem. They say, okay, if you want to be in this voting set, you, um, have to, uh, stake some collateral like a security deposit, basically. And if you uh, behave in a malicious way, we are going to take that stake away from you. So the, uh, the, the other cool thing about this is that it, it makes it pretty hard for me to like invite all my friends to vote hot dogs because they have to have some collateral that they're willing to stake. And so, you know, if there's only like uh, three of us and I just need to like find a few people, maybe I could find the nodes to, to uh, stake that collateral. But when you get to the, something the size of like the Cosmos network, which has 100 validators and the, the staking requirements are like pretty stringent. That alone is like pretty good protection. And then, of course, the slashing uh, mechanism um, really kind of like seals the deal in terms of making the votes safe. So that's, that's, uh, that's the way that Tendermint does this and the way that, again, most, uh, like I would say, modern or current proof of stake algorithms work. Um, but there's other ways to like solve this problem, too. And so, you know, we talked about uh, Bitcoin and proof of work and sort of how that has that trade-off of being uh, very computationally and energy intensive, but it gives you these, you know, it gives you all the the, uh, protection that you need in your consensus system. And the advantage, I would say, just to be completely fair uh, here, the advantage of a system like Bitcoin or, or a proof of work system is that it is arguably fairer because if you want to participate in consensus on a Tendermint proof-of-stake network, you have to have some token, right? You have to have something you can stake. And so you can argue that it gives disproportionate consensus power to people who are literally bought into the network or bought into the token. And maybe that's something that you don't want for whatever reason. Maybe that trade-off is, is there. There is a third way of coming to consensus uh, that blockchain networks also sometimes use, and that's called uh, federated consensus, which is basically where you say, I am going to choose who to trust. And in this way, you can sort of build these, uh, you can do, still conduct votes, and you kind of build uh, voting majorities in like a subjective way, where each node decides what its personal voting set is, and then it votes along with the majority of the nodes that it is paying attention to. So this is kind of complicated and it's like, it's like hard to describe without drawing a lot of pictures and like, you know, circling nodes and saying these nodes are trusting these other nodes and things like that. Um, but the cool thing about uh, a solution like that is that it doesn't require the um, consensus or excuse me, it doesn't require the token buy-in that a proof of stake uh, system might require. And it doesn't require the energy that a proof of work system would require. Um, but it does require some amount of trust, right? So you, you do have this like, like trust. Uh, I wouldn't say trust maximizing because it's definitely not trust maximizing, but you are, you know, relying on those dynamics a little bit. Um, and so I, I like sort of uh, drawing comparisons between these three sort of families or strategies for consensus because they really show, I think, the trade-offs you can make 
uh, just, just in this one aspect of like your network's consensus algorithm and, you know, different, different algorithms are going to be suitable for different use cases. I think that you can kind of extrapolate from that and say different blockchains are suitable for different use cases. And that is actually really like what Cosmos is all about, right? Like you can, you will want different blockchains to do different things. There, there probably isn't going to be one. I mean, maximalists uh, cover your ears, right? But like there probably isn't going to be one blockchain that does everything um, because there are so many different ways to put these systems together. So many configurations you can tweak, so many algorithms to choose, you know, different it'd be, things. It'd be, be too much fun for the engineers to miss out on. I mean, you guys have so much fun tink- tinkering <laughs> with all the different ways to, to, to minimize stress. It's amazing. I'm so yeah, impressed right, right you, now. You caught me there too. I think definitely there's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of software engineer syndrome happening as well. Uh, not going to lie, but no, but like really there's like so many things you can do and they're going to create, produce different results and they're going to be appropriate for different things. Um, and so Cosmos is that's, really about letting all of those systems play nicely together and work together. That's really, really well explained. Uh, the best explanation I've gotten between all those different things, so much better than reading a Medium blog about it. <laughs> hey, Tess, how would, you, how would you analogize Cosmos uh, to something that we have today in you know, Web 2.0 or the current architecture? Is there anything mm-hmm. even similar? Yeah, I mean... The Cosmos um, slogan that sometimes gets thrown around is like Internet of Blockchains, which I'm I'm always like wary of blockchain and Internet analogies um, because I I really understand the appeal. And I I think there are some interesting parallels, um, but I I also frankly like don't know enough about like the history of the Internet to 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 say like, oh, blockchains are the new Internet. Mm. but I do think like there is an interesting parallel there just because, you know, the internet is the thing that allows like closed systems to open up to one another and, and, and communicate across one another. Um, and it's like this like networking. So it's almost like, uh, IP and, like IP and TCP or something that connected all these little disparate, uh, you know, intranets that were at Stanford or UCLA or UCSB and all these colleges around the world back in the whatever it was, probably the 60s. And uh, and then you get these new routing protocols that can now connect everything. It's kind yeah, of like exactly. That. It's kind of like that. IBC isn't like a routing, isn't a routing protocol. Like you kind of have to know where you're going. There's definitely, yeah, There's there's something with that analogy. I just haven't like, pieced it all together yet myself it'll take a little time to to formulate the really truly great analogies i agree (laughs) (laughs) so i got a question um regarding the interoperability of cosmos i think as you know bryce mentioned interoperability is the, the word of the year over here but one of the biggest problems with that is no one uses the same data standards the headers are different the api calls are different even the coding languages are completely different so it's really just like if you were to go to a foreign country where you don't speak the language, you don't have a map, and you have to figure out how to get by in, in this new culture, that's essentially the problem of trying to get two blockchains to work to each other. How do you build the IBC protocol to fix these problems or make these translations? And what's the approach in getting everyone on board to use this standard so things work smoothly together? Totally. That's a great question. And I think a really interesting analogy. Um, 
And I really wish I had my uh, teammate, uh, Christopher Goes, uh, on this call with me because he is the lead architect for IBC and, and I'm sure has some great analogies up his sleeve as well. Um, but I'll do my best. And so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the reality is that there's so many, like I said, there's so many different ways the blockchains are built um, and not every blockchain is going to be IBC compatible. But we really tried to trim it, trim the requirements down to uh, sort of make them as minimal as possible. So a few of the requirements include um, having a uh, fast finality consensus algorithm. So, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I will talk just one more minute about consensus algorithms, and then I will come straight back to IBC. But it is it is actually very relevant. I promise. So. Um, Basically, when you know computers are are all coming to consensus on something, the question is: Is that value final or not? Like everyone's agreed on eating a hot dog, is that final? Or if we get more information later, are we going to like renege on that? And in Bitcoin, it's possible to uh, it's it's possible to renege. It's possible to have um, like a a consensus fork. To be clear, different from forks that are sort of like deliberate acts where people disagree on software and, 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 you know, fork off into like Ethereum classic or whatever. That's a different kind of fork, but you can have a fork in consensus that is an accident. It's a consensus accident. Um, and so, uh, one of the requirements of IBC is that, uh, the, the, uh, blockchains that are using it have to have fast finality. You cannot change your mind on a block. Um, and that's really just to make sure that like everyone is, sort of um, obeying the same guarantees, basically. Um, the other piece is um, a uh, light client with certain security guarantees. I unfortunately can't remember exactly what the security guarantees are, but um, each blockchain needs to have this light client in order to be able to verify uh, aspects of their state as well as um, uh, state on the sort of corresponding exchange chain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So those are really the requirements and they're pretty uh like it's it's not that hard to to meet those uh those requirements and get to that point. So our hope is that IBC will be something that is fairly easy for lots of different systems to integrate with. Um and we're certainly working with a few different peg zones is what they're called um already and different teams to try to figure out how uh to create as many, you know, interoperability links as possible. Very nice. Um, all right, cool. Well, could you tell us a little bit about what happened w- with the Cosmos Foundation or something? The One of the, Jaquan, was it? One of the leaders left earlier this year kind of caused a ruffle, uh, definitely in the price of Adam, but also just in the community sentiment-wise. Could you give us a little background of what, from your vantage point, what was going on and how things are going to be moving forward? Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, I think there have been some uh, disagreements among leadership in the space about, you know, which way to go, what to explore, what kinds of like products and and things like that people want to build, which I think is like normal and healthy and kind of amusingly enough, like completely consistent with the, the overall Cosmos vision, right, which is like, like lots of people doing lots of different things. Um, and so ultimately, that led to the sort of like core develop software development for a few things, including IBC and also Tendermint Core, both moving over to interchain 
GmbH. So that's the company I work for now. Um, I sort of alighted a detail when I, I gave you my personal history, which is that I um, originally joined a, a different company called All In Bits to work on Tendermint Core there, sort of during some of the, uh, again, like philosophical disagreements that happened earlier this year, my team moved over to the interchain, well, to a subsidiary of the Interchain Foundation. It's very complicated and not that interesting, but uh, basically a space where we can focus on core development of protocols and algorithms and really like shepherding that along without uh, interfacing so much with some of the like more product or philosophical disagreements that other people in the space were having. Very cool. Um, what else, uh, what would you say is one part of the Cosmos network uh, that excites you the most besides consensus, maybe like an application. Let's talk about an application that you're seeing. Oh man. Um, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's so many interesting applications and I don't know that much about many of them. Um, one, uh, really interesting application that has been a pretty active, like Cosmos ecosystem community member um, is a company, a team called Althea, Althea, and they are like a decentralized ISP. And so they go out and they use uh, a blockchain. And I think it was like they had sort of similar requirements around like fast finality and things like that. They, They use this blockchain to like keep track of who is like providing internet to whom. And things oh. like that, and so it's 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 cool. very cool because they can get pretty deep reach in places that maybe wouldn't otherwise have like great distribution of like internet itself. So they're pretty cool. That's I'm also cool. quite excited about. It's not really like producty so much, but um, the Zcash Foundation is working on a peg zone with us, um, and I'm like pretty excited about that because I think confidentiality is going to really unlock a lot of use cases uh, for blockchains in general. Um, and I think like the Zcash ecosystem and the Zcash foundation have really been nailing that for a long time. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see what happens there too. Amazing. We're definitely big fans of Zcash over here also. I think zero knowledge proofs is one of the best technologies that's going to come out of crypto to really change the world. But that's another conversation for another time. Well, on that point, real quick, uh, I saw an interesting article about the founder of Google. I think it was Sergey Brin, uh, who's talking about how he's like zero knowledge proofs, like blow my mind. It's like the most exciting possibility. Like those things hold the most exciting possibility for all of technology. So side note on that, since you brought it up. I would believe it. Like, I don't know if you've ever <laughs> And Edward had Snowden someone... said the same thing too. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had someone like walk you through how a zero knowledge proof works at like pretty basic, like al- like arithmetic level. Um, but it blew my mind when someone did that for me. I was like, this is like black magic. Like I, <laughs> I saw how it happened and I don't believe it. We're going to have someone come on the podcast someday soon. And it's going to be all about zero knowledge proofs and its potential real world applications. But for now, awesome. we have a couple more questions for you. Uh, we're going to detour away from consensus algorithms and protocols for a minute. And we just want to know about you. What's one person that you have met that you really admire in the crypto space that motivates you to continue to do what you do? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, like the people who, a lot of the people who inspire me are people who I used to work with, which is kind of cheesy. Um, but a lot of the people who I 
uh, worked with at Chain, which again was like kind of an early uh, crypto startup, have gone on to like do really interesting things. And I love just like following along with them. So um, Jill Carlson, who has this like history of, of doing um, basically like blockchain consulting, but is now working in VC, has has just is such an interesting thinker about what's happening in the space uh, in kind of a way and at an angle that I don't usually approach. Dan Robinson, who actually is also in BC, but at kind of a different angle, um, is a fantastic protocol thinker and protocol designer. And I love hearing what he's up to. Um, Henry DeValence is actually at the Zcash Foundation, and I get to work with him a little bit on this um, PegZone stuff now. But he uh, is one of the people who explained to me how zero-knowledge proofs work at that first time and sort of like blew my mind. So I, I have had the privilege of like working with uh, some really sharp folks, and it's been super wonderful to like continue to uh, get to follow along with their with what they're doing as they go out into like completely different um, areas and completely different like corners, right, of the blockchain space. Awesome. Well, those are some uh, some really good closing thoughts for us, Tess. One last question: We kind of like to ask everybody that comes on the pod. If this was the first podcast somebody was listening to. That had you know the first time hearing about cryptocurrency. Uh, what would be one word of wisdom? I mean, you've been in the industry and, and in the market for so long. What would you want to tell them? I would say that there is just like so much that happens, and <laughs> it's a it's a fire hose and it's a treadmill, and you cannot keep up with all of it. And you right. like, I mean, 100%. there are some people who basically keep up with all of it, and they're like super superhumans, right? But <laughs> I would say find the thing that is like most interesting and exciting to you in that space. So I think it's probably pretty clear to everyone what that is for me, and really just like focus on that and get in deep with that and learn how to teach other people about it too. Um, because I think that's, for me, that has been the most satisfying way to engage with this industry. Awesome. Couldn't agree more. Tess, thanks for uh, spending this hour with us today here. Uh, if we want to keep tabs on Interchain and and maybe, do you, are, you have a, are you on Twitter as well? Want shout yeah, out I'm on Twitter. So I'm, I'm at um, underscore Tess R Easy. underscore because I, I didn't get, it, get in the game fast enough. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my handle. And um, the uh, Interchain... Uh, GmbH website is interchain.berlin but I would really recommend following like the Cosmos Twitter handle and or like getting involved in the um, like the the Cosmos network subreddit or um, uh, Discord channel yeah there's like so many I mean again we're like completely decentralized actually and so it's hard to say like go to this place to get all the information because it's like everywhere but Mm -hmm. as soon as you join one place everyone else will just suck you in I promise so Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. All right. Thanks so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.